Chapter 8 of Wanted, Seven Fearless Engineers This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wanted, Seven Fearless Engineers by Warner Van Lorne Chapter 8 Battle with a Monster Minutes passed while the Earthmen hardly dared breathe. Their ebbing heartbeats seemed to almost echo in their breasts. Then the object appeared at the opening, hesitated, and was thrust in. The hammer was a head. It swayed back and forth like the head of a huge caterpillar, and every gun fired in unison. Shot after shot pumped into the head with rapid and unerring accuracy. The giant head moved from one side to the other, while two gigantic eyes peered around. It didn't know enough to draw back from the danger zone, but muscular reaction finally moved it out of sight. Dick crept forward, motioning for the others to wait until he investigated. There was no need for all of them to enter the danger zone. He turned the flashlight on that had been strapped to his waist, and played it around the jagged opening, then climbed to the next level and searched again. When he crawled to the outer surface, the creature was writhing a few feet away. He motioned, and the other men soon joined him, where they could watch the creature. They were standing almost on the direct centre of the dome, where it was almost flat. The flashlights penetrated the mists enough to mark out the shape of the attacker when they were all centred. Suddenly they felt sick to their stomachs. It was a caterpillar, as loathsome a creature as they could have imagined with its curled body, and the farthest possible thing from a human being a form of life that existed in the poison gases where men would die within minutes. The muscles of the creature had to be terrifically strong to move against the gravity of the huge globe. Even at the centre of the dome they felt less effect of the neutralised gravity of the interior. It required effort to stand on their feet. Some effects of the neutralisers in the giant pillars, which emanated most of the way to the dome, enabled them to handle their bodies. The creature before them was accustomed to normal gravity of the heavy planet, and even the metal of the dome was not beyond the pounding of its hammer. What they had mistaken for a battering ram was the brown tip of the mammoth insect. From end to end it measured over sixty feet. The men finally turned away in disgust as it writhed in muscular reaction. John McCarthy was climbing into the opening behind the other men, when he happened to glance back. His flashlight dimly lighted the spot where the monster had been, and it was gone. He hesitated with one foot in the air, then realised what had happened. The movement of the body had moved it farther and farther from the centre of the dome. It had reached a place where the curve was sufficient to let it slide on the smooth metal. A moment later a slight jar was felt through the entire structure. It had slid from the man-made mound to crash on the ground below. Memory of that sight made a sober return to the interior. Before they dared rest, metal sheets were carried to the opening and blocked in place. Then dome men welded them to the solid metal. They didn't want to see any of those creatures in the cities. Twelve hours had passed by the time the opening was sealed, and the earthmen dragged their tired forms through the maze of supports for the last time. They were almost asleep before they could reach their own apartments and tumble into comfortable beds. They had conquered the first problem. Dick was awakened by an excited man 
talking faster than he could understand the new language. When he grasped what the other was saying, he leaped from the bed wide awake. Every dome had been attacked. The caterpillars were pounding many spots on each one. They seemed to be trying to get at the creatures that had destroyed one of their number. In that moment Dick felt like an old man. He thought of the spaceship, the only way of attacking from the outside, and gave that up. There wasn't enough fuel to handle it, and the blast might injure the metal domes. His mind searched frantically for some way of fighting all of the creatures, and knew it couldn't be done. He was racing across the open ground, while thousands of people gazed at the banging overhead. Suddenly he stopped, then turned back towards his apartment, running just as hard. There was a system of communication between the domes that sometimes worked. It was not efficient, but if he could get in touch with the others immediately, there was one chance. He tried frantically to get a connection, but it wasn't until one of the natives helped with the intricate system of signals that he heard the voice of Andrew Smith. A few moments later Philip Jones answered, then Gerard Brown and Peter Yarbrough. Each man was given quick yet explicit instruction. When Dick turned away from the phone, John McCarthy entered the room, followed by George Martin. The noise in the city had finally aroused them from their slumber. John started to smile, but the expression on Barrow's face drove all thought of greeting away. What is it? I thought the people were doing a day's work, but you... His face turned ashen as he ran to the balcony, George Martin only a step behind. After gazing up for a moment, McCarthy turned slowly to face Dick. The worms? It sounds like hundreds of them. We'd better work fast, or they'll have the whole roof down around our ears. No, John, we can't fight them with guns. They've attacked every dome on the planet. When full realisation came to the big Irishman, he sank slowly into a chair. Then what? Have you got any plan? Or are we helpless? We've got work to do, and plenty of it. There's a slight chance of saving the cities. I've already instructed the others. As the three men raced toward the power plant, Dick explained. John and George were to do the work, while he travelled from dome to dome to make sure the people were prepared, and see that the power plants were used as he intended. By the time they reached the entrance to the building, John nodded, and Barrow turned back as the other men entered the door. The first dome people that Dick saw were told to remove everyone from the buildings and gather them in the open spaces of the parks, leaving no one within any structure. The expression on his face scared them even more than the pounding of the worms, and they hurried to obey. Dick jumped into the nearest ground car. He couldn't be bothered travelling on the railroads. This happened to belong to the assistant head of the dome, whom he dispossessed. It jerked crazily across streets and parks while he learned to handle the controls. An hour later Dick was back at the powerhouse in the big dome. Every city was ready. In several places the hammering heads had broken through the outer layers and were banging at the translucent inner ceiling. The creatures had learned how to break through. The first worm that attacked while the spaceship was away either took its time or didn't realise what was beneath the heavy metal. These creatures were working in earnest. Heavy insulated cables ran from the powerhouse to the nearest metal pillars, where McCarthy and Martin were working desperately to fasten them in place. The booming voice of the Irishman had kept the natives back, 
although they crowded as close as they dared. They were really afraid, when the hammering grew plainer with each passing minute. When the cables were fastened, John shouted to Dick, who was waiting in the powerhouse. He pulled a heavy switch at the end of the wires. The city was suddenly in complete darkness. Then it flashed bright again, as power flowed back into the thousands of coils in the ceiling material. Twice more it darkened, when the giant switch was thrown and the lights came on again. This time it stayed bright. Dick ran to the doorway and gazed at the dome above. It was silent. The people were frightened and moved restlessly about. Twice more he turned the power into the metal, and after one long darkened period the city remained bright. No sound came from the dome. Either the worms were dead or frightened away. Within a week the doors to the deserted city were opened, and the earthmen passed through. When they glimpsed the interior they stopped in consternation, then started to laugh. Huge worms covered the ground, and smaller additions of the same species crawled around them. They were using the dome for a hatching place. They had only entered it to bring forth their young. It was not brains that tempted them to attack the city, but the instinct to find a protected place for their eggs. Since they had broken in, many of the young had hatched and were crawling around the ground. Sight of the earthmen seemed to excite their feelings, and several of the creatures started toward them. The men fired carefully, and the forms squirmed on the ground. The ones that came behind stopped, and some of the young tried to feed on the remains of their companions. The sight was so sickening that the earthmen fired at every living thing they could see. Several of the wounded creatures crawled up the huge pillars, to disappear through the opening above, while the men shot at their disappearing forms. When the last caterpillar lay dead, the entire area appeared like a battlefield. Three days later the gas had been expelled, and the hole in the dome repaired. The population was returning to their homes, burying the carcasses in the fields. The city was livable again, and they knew electric current would stop any future attacks of the strange creatures. Ten years later, Dick Barrow sat on the balcony before his apartment. His son John, eight years old, was playing with Dick McCarthy. While he watched the boys, his mind swung back to the earth the little group had left so many years before. For three years they had talked of returning to their home planet, and the evening before the conversation reached a climax. They were starting in two months. It no longer required years to manufacture fuel for one trip. All machinery was working at top efficiency, and they could turn out enough of the liquid in a month to drive the ship back and forth several times. Crews of workmen had been trained to care for all mechanical equipment, and there was no longer need for the engineers from the earth. The day the little party, it now consisted of eighteen with the four children, entered the spaceship, tears rolled down the cheeks of many of the crowd. The dome people had learned to almost worship these members of an alien race, and thought they would never leave. But when they realised that the leaders were dissatisfied, and wanted to return to their native planet, they aided in every way they knew how. The ship was out of port for less than a week, when the people became restless. They hardly spoke, even at mealtime, and for the first time in ten years there were petty quarrels. When Barrow called them to the main cabin they came grudgingly, then slowly the expressions changed. Smiles appeared on their faces, and their heads moved with the sheepish nods of assent. 
We're fools, and you all know it. We were happy in the domes, happier than we ever were in our lives before. We didn't appreciate it, and longed to return to the earth. We wanted to leave, yet had everything there to live for. We had comfort, every pleasure, and more friends than we can possibly have on our own world. I feel ashamed. Right now, we wish that we were back in our own apartments, and might as well admit it. The earth is not what we want. We want the domes. They are home. The best thing for us to do now that we are on the way to earth is establish commerce. We can create friendship between the planets. We are the natives of Jupiter. Our interest will always be with the dome people. We have almost become part of that race, and they have given us everything in return. They even gave us our freedom when we wanted it. We belong there. Ten years more passed, and John Barrow was beginning to help his father's work. Vacationing in Jupiter's domes had become so popular on the Earth that they were building another city to accommodate the tourist trade. It was the third to be added to the original six. Merchant ships were constantly discharging goods from the Earth and carrying back rare materials. Spaceships from the Earth, designed after the original Jupiter ship, were searching the little-known planets for minerals. Domes were being built on three of the smaller globes, and pioneering humans migrated to new worlds. There was danger, yes, but also fame and fortune for the hardy people who would inhabit them. The Earth had changed a lot since the visit of the spaceship. They had adopted the principle of controlling gravity, and tremendous structures were the result. New buildings were several times as large as the greatest structure of ten years before. Both planets had benefited from the friendship, and both were happier as a result. As Dick Barrow's mind ran over these facts, he smiled and spoke aloud to himself. And all this in twenty years. It seems incredible. What did you say, dear? asked Dolores. Dick smiled as he glanced at her. It's nothing. I was just thinking. Remember the night you fell in front of my table in the hotel? And I thought it was accidental, you scheming gold-digger. The ruler of the domes ducked when his wife threw her book, but she didn't throw it very hard. End of chapter 8 End of Wanted, Seven Fearless Engineers by Warner Van Lawn Read by Lizzie Driver, Corey Samuel Andrew Coleman Philippa And David Barnes London, 18th of October 2008